Hello and welcome to episode number 74 of Chell Squared. I'm your host, Andrew Chelney, and as always, we've got a ton to get into today. Before we do, though, go back and listen to last week's episode. If you haven't, Mike Carver, host of Isle Seat Podcast and producer of On the Bench at CBS, stop by to talk about the Islanders never losing again, I guess, uh, load management in the NHL, and a bunch more great stuff. Of course, before the show kicks off, the quick social media plug is in order. Please follow the podcast on twitter at shell squared for more hot takes news about future guests and a whole lot more if you want to follow me personally on twitter it's at chelney andrew c-h-e-l-n-e-y andrew one cool feature of the hosting platform of the podcast anchor.fm is the supporter option shell squared doesn't have any sponsors though if you if you like to become a sponsor hit up my dms which are open and we will talk i'm my own producer host editor etc i do the show out of love for the game one of my days off from work if you like to become a sponsor all you have to do is hit support this podcast on anchor.fm and choose an amount you're comfortable with to support the show and also get exclusive content or if you want to support the show in other ways you could always leave a rating or review and or share the podcast with others makes my day when i see hockey fans enjoying the weekly content hot takes and all thank you to the anonymous legend who left a five-star review and our podcast whoever you are just know i really appreciate you show squared is a part of national podcast network a network dedicated to hockey podcasts check the show out on there by going to nationalpodcast.network slash chell squared and though i am a full-time associate producer for nba and nfl radio tiers xm this podcast is not affiliated in any way with the company the opinions expressed in this podcast are mine and mine alone and may or may not reflect the views of tiers xm if you're angry at my takes direct them to me and me alone please and thank you mike back Babcock is officially done in Toronto. Only took not winning a single playoff series with basically an all-star team and starting the season under 500 with basically an all-star team to get fired while still being paid nearly $6 million for the next three years to not do his job. What a life, what a time to be alive. Maple Leafs are undefeated in the Sheldon Keefe era, beating the Coyotes 3-1 last night. Did you hear what Travis Dermott had to say in his pregame interview before the game last night? We'll talk his interesting quotes during the show. The Avalanche are literally missing half their offensive lineup and yet are still dominating the NHL. Bad loss last night against Minnesota, but how is this team continuing to pile up points and wins despite not having some world-class talent in their lineup? Plus, the Dallas Stars started the season 1-7-1. and They are now 13-8-2 and and winners of five straight and are tied with the Abs for second in the division with 28 points what has fueled this run for them and can they keep it going and the Tampa Bay Lightning won in Chicago last night bringing their record to 10-7-2 good for 22 points four out of a wild card spot that the Penguins and Flyers both occupy with 26 points the Lightning came into the year with sky high expectations that up to this point they haven't been meeting them when if ever Will the Lightning push the panic button this season? We'll get into all of that and a whole lot more during the show. Once again, a SiriusXM NHL hosting contributor, Dave McCarthy. Dave, what's up? Welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me on. Second time. Is that uh, is that a first for the show or what? Uh, it is not a first, but I, pre- okay. <laughs> but I appreciate you taking the time uh, coming oh, on the show. Dream. Xander here, I thought it was special, and you just you killed it right away. <laughs> well, I mean, if, if nothing else, I, am, I, I don't want to lie to you. There's no reason to lie. Uh, I, I liked, I like being truthful and you know, I don't, it it might disappoint you a little bit, but I'd rather you be, I'd rather be honest and disappointed, uh, than, than lie to, you know, I tell you the truth. Always better. You had uh, my boy, uh, Mike Carver on last week, eh? Absolutely. Yeah. I, that guy's a beauty. We, uh, I guess the, the, the whole hour was dedicated to the Islanders never losing again, which I mean, is still true, right? It, it, it's aged pretty well considering they're still, uh, un, they're still undefeated in this ridiculous run that they're on and, uh, points in 16 straight games. Now I even, uh, last week, uh, on Saturday, the day after the, that episode came out, I tweeted out that, uh, that Mike Carver was one and oh in stretch four, uh, because the, the Flyers are up four to two 
with uh, about like what eight nine minutes to go in the third period, and one of the stretches that I put for that for that episode was uh, the Islanders were going to sh- have this stretch go on for. Uh, a- until December, I think it was either the first or second week of December that I had, and he thought that was the biggest stretch. And then I tweeted out that Mike was one to zero because it was looking like that streak was going to be ended. And then they came back and won that game. So, my, so the the streak continues for the Islanders and for for Mike too. Yeah, they've been an impressive group. I think if there was ever a show that you were going to really dedicate an hour to anybody, it would be the Islanders, the way they've been going. Lou and Barry Trotz, they've got that team going in the early going. It's it, I said this last week, too. I mean, this has been a team that last season, pretty much everyone, including myself, was down on because their, their underlying metrics weren't good. Yeah, the, the, team isn't, yeah. the, the team isn't all that good. And yet, look at what they've done. Uh, and and still that same mentality included I'm going to include myself in it too because I didn't think that they would repeat their success and yet here they are shoving it in my face with points in 16 straight going 15 0 and 1 in that stretch I mean no better yeah. way to no better way to tell someone uh to to uh, it's a PG rated show, but I had to to tell someone off uh than to, to then to go on a run like that yeah, they've been uh, they've been pretty good, and that's one of the reasons I've been enjoying their little run. Uh, regression, what? And I think <laughs> if you recall back to the last episode, I have some particular views that I don't necessarily agree with with all of the things in charts and, and, and graphs. And uh, you know what? The Islanders are really showing everybody right now that uh, if they just play a strong, reliable system in their own end, uh, they can they can keep their own end under control. They can avoid giving up too many goals, and they can, you know, essentially just take advantage when the other team makes a mistake. I mean, that's what they did when they beat the Leafs. I guess it would have been uh, eight nine days ago there when uh, the Leafs were down on the island. Uh, but the the Islanders have been impressive. It, it 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 goes to show when you have structure and you don't give up goals, um, you can be a good team, uh, even if your talent level may not be as as high as as you think it should be or as some other teams might have um the islanders are showing they can get it done it's been impressive to watch speaking of the leafs they are in the news this week with mike babcock being canned uh from his head coaching duties in toronto your first thoughts when that was announced and the leafs play their first game with new head coach sheldon keefe in Arizona, they won that game three to one. Your first thoughts of the firing and first thoughts of how the Leafs played under a new head coach. Well, I was surprised at the timing. Um, later in the day on uh, on Wednesday, I thought it was a bit of a strange time after Mike Babcock had run practice. Um, I, I thought, let's put it this way, I wasn't surprised there was a move made because you, you started to get the, the feeling that something was going to come the way the team had played and and how they had lost over the last six games there. Um, but I, I was a little surprised. I thought they'd give them at least till the end of the road trip. You know, if, if anything, uh, wait till wait till after Saturday's game. So I don't think they play again till Wednesday. But uh, Kyle Dubas decided that a change had to be made, and he made it. And now Sheldon Keefe is up here. And they played, you know, fairly well last night under Sheldon Keefe. But... You, know, you can't sit here and say, oh, well, then they got to figure it out now. It's it's going to be a process. Typically, when a team fires a head coach, they get a bit of a get a bit of a new coach bump, and then once the dust settles, um, you get back to reality. So we'll have to see. Um, they got another opportunity on Saturday, a good team against Colorado Avalanche. It's not going to be easy um, to to see how they play. But, you know, early returns, they, they played well last night for sure. You'd certainly rather have an effort like that against the Arizona Coyotes than another, you know, five, six, seven loss like they had against uh, Pittsburgh the other night. Travis Dermott, before the game, he was interviewed and some some interesting words came out of Dermott. And uh, some of the things that he said were, and I, I'm quoting directly from, from the video here, we're ready for a different vibe. We're ready to come out with a new energy. The boys want to play for him. He lets us play into our skill, and that's exactly what we need. That l- those last few few statements there, 
He lets us play into our skill, and that's exactly what we need, which tells me that the team did not appreciate Mike Babcock, or at least at the towards the tail end of of his run in Toronto, they did not appreciate the way that he was uh, either deploying uh, the the team that that uh, that he was coaching or the structure that he was imposing on this team. This tells me that they were not enjoying it. They didn't appreciate it, and. Sheldon Keefe coming up now, who's had success in juniors, who's had success in the AHL, who's now ready to show that he is ready for success in the NHL. This tells me that toward the tail end of Mike Babcock's tenure in Toronto, the team was ready to move on. Well, they better be ready to play now, right? Because if, if that's the outlook you want to have, then now that you essentially have what you want, you better be better be ready to go because if this team does not um, all the blame is going to go on the players. So that's one of the things that, that Mike Babcock did really, really well. And whether people realized it or not, he took a lot of the blame. He took a lot of the heat. He took a lot of the criticism, the fire and by and large, it stayed off the players, which really is quite something when you think about it. Um, the amount of guys making 10, 11 million bucks, 7 million bucks, and really weren't getting all too much criticism. So, um, now the situation is very different. The, the coach is the coach that the general manager wants. The players are the, the players that the general manager wants. Um, now they have to, they have to get it together. And, you know, starting, uh, before the coyotes game, they had 59 games to, to, to salvage the season and make sure it does not go to go to hell to, you know, quite frankly, because, uh, that's where it was headed. Um, if they don't make the playoffs, it'll be an unmitigated disaster in a year where coming into it, they had Stanley Cup aspirations, rightly or wrongly. I think, you know, if not Cup aspirations, um, aspirations to win a playoff round or two. We'll see. They've dug themselves a hole. Now they got to climb out of it. But I just, I do, I guess, raise a bit of an eyebrow at times when we start to hear um, suggestions that that guys in the room didn't appreciate, you know, the way Mike Babcock was, was deploying them or, or running a team or, or whatnot. You got to be careful with that when you're 21 or 22 and you've, you've really accomplished nothing, right? Um, it's one thing for Chris Chelios, um, multiple Hall of Fa- multiple Stanley Cup winner, Hall of Famer to have a, have a problem with, with Mike Babcock. Mike Medano, same thing, Hall of Famer. Uh, Mike Commodore has been around. Mike a Commodore time, has has been having know. a field day well, since yeah, since you know, Babcock was fired. I think he I think he goes a little too far at times, to be honest with you on that. But you know, Mike Banano, Chris Shelley's, they're not the biggest uh, biggest Mike Babcock fans, largely because Babcock was the guy who told them, you know, at in Chelios's case, what was he forty six, forty seven? Medano, I think he might have been close to forty, if not over. Like, dude, you can't play anymore. Anyone who hears that from anybody, they're not going to be too too thrilled with whoever that might have been. So it's one thing for them to have a problem with Mike Babcock. You're 21, you're 22, you've accomplished nothing in this league. Like I said, uh, you got the situation you want now, theoretically. Better be ready to produce, because if you're not, the heat is going to turn on the players very quickly. Back in May, when the Leafs once again did not win a game seven against Boston and all the credit to Boston. I mean, I was on Japers Rink radio last night with Greg young and we talked about this a little bit as well. Uh, if you want to go listen to that, go on Japers Rink and the episode is there as well. Uh, we talked about this a little bit and back in May when they, uh, when Toronto blew that series again, I called for Mike Babcock to be fired then because of his atrocious deployment with his top st- in relation to his top talent. In that series, he they, he didn't play his top players nearly as much as he should have, and that was one of the biggest reasons yeah, in my mind. I, I disagree with that, Andy. Okay, all right. Uh, let me let me let me hear your uh, let me hear your thoughts. Well, everyone points. Uh, what is, what's at the top of your mind? Austin Matthews ice time in Game Seven. I uh, yeah that that is that's okay. one of the that's one of the well, biggest red flags for me. Well, check the amount of shifts he got. He the number of shifts he got were right on par with with where they should have been and the other top players on the team. Matthew's shifts in game seven were dramatically shorter than, than other guys on the team. 
whose ice time ended up being higher. So that's a question you got to ask Austin Matthews. Why do you stay out on the ice very long each of your shifts? Because it's not like he wasn't given the opportunity to go out onto the ice. Fair point. The Mike Babcock defender, Dave McCarthy. <laughs> no, not, not uh, defender, no, no, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm, ki- I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Trying to tell the trying to tell the truth, right? Uh, you're right, Dave. I'm 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 pull- I'm pulling your leg a little bit. I'm pulling your leg. Uh, I'm I'm kidding a little bit. But everything has come has come together into this idea that, or at least in my mind, this this fact that Mike Babcock has had a, a pretty sensational team for the most part. There's holes, right? No one is suggesting that the Leafs are a perfect, flawless team. But at the end of the day, with the with the talent that they've had, Mike Babcock should have won at least one playoff series. At least one. And they've had the opportunity to do that, and they haven't. So I mean, Boston's a pretty good team, though, right? Last yeah, time I checked. Exa- yeah, for sure. And, and, I, they, and, I, and, and, and they pushed them to seven games both times. Um, and they arguably gave Boston the best run of, of, of any opponent the last two years, other than the teams that they, they ended up losing to certainly last year, uh, they gave Boston the best run until Boston ended up losing to the St. Louis blues. So, you know, it's unfortunate a little bit in the way the, uh, way the, the matchup played out that it occurred in the first round each of the last two years. If that had happened in the, in the conference final, I think the narrative would have been very different. But that's just the the cards you're dealt. Point is, Leafs didn't get blown out of the water in the series last year. They were right there, and they lost to a better team. Uh, Boston had a phenomenal team, and and you're absolutely right. I'm not suggesting that they were a bad team and all the credit to them. They got to the Cup Final for a reason, right? But I said that it, it was time for a change back in May. They came into the season with Mike Babcock, and they were uh, and they were under 500 with this team. And again, they have they have holes. You're, you're playing Cody Cece 22 minutes a game. I mean, if you're giving Cody Cece 22 minutes a game, there's gonna be there's, you're you're asking for trouble here at a certain point. But at the but at the end of the day, this there was. It was time for a change. At least, at least I felt there was time for a change back in back in May. They came into the season with with Babcock under 500. And now they finally made the change a quarter of the way through the season. Well, so they won last night in, in Arizona, like we said. There's still plenty of time, but is there enough time for this Leafs team to turn it around and be a contender for not only a wild card spot? I mean, there's again, it's November, right? There's there's plenty of time. If St. Louis could do it in January, being the worst team in the NHL, Toronto could do it in November. Still, still in the thick of things. There's still plenty of time, but at the end, but you still have to win and win a lot because they also have played more games than pretty much everybody in the Eastern Conference as well. So, in your mind now, with the with the Leafs finally winning a game here, ending the Schneid, and kind of pulling things back together, how successful is this Leafs team going to be the rest of the season? Well, I mean, it's a tough spot that Sheldon Keith is in, right? Because like, like we talked about a few minutes ago, he's got 59 games to salvage this season. It's not all come in a final 10 games of the year, whatever it is, get a feel for it, then we'll come back, get him next year. This is a year where the Leafs intended to contend and it had not gone the way they, they wanted it to through the first quarter of the season. Now, certainly there's fault on Mike Babcock's hands, uh, but there's, there's fault elsewhere as well. Uh, certainly a lot of it goes on the players who quite frankly underperformed um, through the first 20 games. Um, and, and there's fault on the general manager as well for, for part of the way this team has been built. You mentioned Cody Cece. I mean, decent player, but not a guy that I really want to play on my first, my first pair. Why is he playing on your first pair? You really don't have any other options right now. Um, so can they do it? Sure. Yeah, there's still lots of time, but uh, they're going to need to, to get going in a hurry here because as you mentioned, they played a lot of games and it is going to be um, a situation now where they're playing catch up essentially the remainder of the year. So let's go back to what you're talking about with Cody CC being the lineup. Yeah. I mean the, the defense not terrific and I, there's, it's not a, it's not a secret here that that blue line is, is not the best in the NHL. Uh, but you were, but you also mentioned something about Kyle Dubas and the way that he has made this lineup. So if you were in Kyle Dubas's shoes, then 
what would you do to fix this, to quote unquote fix this lineup if you were to do something? Or would you want to wait a couple of weeks, see what Sheldon Keefe could do with a lineup that is on the team right now uh, and wait it out? Well, I think you have to wait a couple of weeks because quite honestly, um, he can't really do much to alter this roster right now, given the way uh, the salary structure is sure. in place. There's, they have no salary cap space at all, zero. And that's part of the reason why, why some of the issues that we've seen crop up over the first quarter of the year have cropped up. For instance, their inability to get points when Frederick Anderson is not playing. They don't have a serviceable backup netminder. Why? Because they can't afford one. Um, so that was one of the things that I found puzzling over the offseason. Uh, much of the narrative was, oh, well, you got to load manage Freddie. Can't have him playing six plus games. It's too much. Okay, that's nice. That's what you know, the numbers told you, I guess. Okay, well, what'd you do about it? Did you get a goalie that can take 30, 35 games off Freddie? No, you, you hoped with Michael Neuberth, um, a guy that's essentially, he was hurt all last year and, and came to camp not prepared to play. Um, if not him, then you were hoping with Michael Hutchinson, who a really nice guy. I like him a lot, but he's a, he's a third string netminder at best. Um, and, and then, you know, Casimir Kaskisou has never played in the NHL. That's an issue right there. That's because they had no money to go out and get, um, a serviceable backup netminder. Um, he, you can't really do all that much right now. That's what I said at the beginning of the year, Andrew, that, um, you know, it can't be one of those years where, you know, you get into the season, you tread water, you move along, and then you say, oh, okay, well, at the trade deadline, we can make something happen. The Leafs committed to their core. They put bets on, on Tavares a couple of years ago, Matthews, Nylander, and now Marner. And, and the way they've paid those guys, it's now no longer, oh, you know, let's learn a lesson from this or whatever it might be, uh, got some experience, we'll, we'll come back again next year. No, now it's go time for these guys who, who have been paid like they've won something but have never won something, and now they've been paid to a level where the, the hands of the general manager are now essentially tied when it comes to improving his team, certainly in season, um, unless you want to do something drastic like trade a William Nylander, which, frankly, I, I don't see happening right now. So um, I, they're going to have to wait a couple of weeks and see if, 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 if Sheldon Keith can get this turned around. I think that's the right course of action. You don't, you don't make a coach and change and make a significant trade at the same time. I think you do one first. You wait to see if it has, a, has an effect. The Leafs' next four games are at Colorado, at Detroit, and then they play a home-and-home home with Buffalo. But obviously, best case scenario, they win. They win all four, and then they go on a roll. And then you know the, what we're talking about right now is ancient history because they've won four in a row. They're on a roll, and they're back, presumably in a playoff spot. Let's say they lose to Colorado and potentially lose a Buffalo game or the game against Detroit. How does that? factor into what happens with the Maple Leafs, at least in the short term for the next couple weeks, if at all? Uh, yeah, I don't think it really has much of an impact, really, because again, it goes back to what I said. Um, what what would you do if you're Kyle Dubas, Andrew? Because that's, that's a tough that's question. question that right? Because there's really not all that many options. Would you trade Tyson Berry if you know, he, he scored last night against Arizona, but if, but if he doesn't get it going, he's looked unhappy through the first quarter of the year. Contract year. It's not going well for him. Would you trade him? I wouldn't, I mean, trade, I wouldn't trade Tyson Berry, no. Probably, probably not. I don't think Kyle Dubas would either because that was his seminal trade of the offseason. So to, to, to buckle under on it that quickly, sure. I mean, it's a bad look for the general manager. And I think there's, there's more there that Tyson Berry can give. And even if you were to trade him, you're only getting two and a half million bucks in salary cap space back, what he, what he carries this year. Um, so you can't really do all too much there. Cody CC, I don't think the market's all that high. Um, and then, like, William Nylander is the only other guy that if you really want to make a, a significant overhaul in the roster, he's the guy that would have to go because Martin Matthews and Tavares are not going anywhere. Um, but other than that, I just I really don't see what can be done. 
I mean, it's a very tough question, and it's one that I, I would presume Kyle Dubas uh, is thinking about day in and day out. But one of the, I mean, again, you you mentioned that Cody Cece's uh, trade value is not very high right now, but he does carry a pretty large cap hit at four and a half. He hasn't been playing that well. I mean, if I but was Kyle Dubas, I would at least explore a trade. To, sure, to, but to, there's always... It's always a situation where you need a dancing partner, right? So who wants sure. to go out and get Cody Cece? Um, is, is a contending team going out and acquiring Cody Cece? Do you think he can help a contending team? Maybe his depth, but you're not paying depth four and a half million bucks because if St. you're St. Louis a is with team, Justin Falk, right? <laughs> yeah, but well, but he's just Falk's sure. much better player no, than Cody yeah, Cece, of right? I'm talking depth as, as like a seventh guy where if, if you get banged up, um, this guy can come out of the press box and you can get serviceable minutes out of him. That's what I'm talking about in terms of depth. St. Louis acquired Justin Falk because he thinks he strengthens their team. Um, so there's no one who's going to pay depth four and a half million bucks. Um, he's an expiring contract, um, so you're not getting anything for him. And really, why would a bad team take uh, Cody Cece, who has you know salary cap room, that would be willing to let him walk away at the end of the year, they'd be taking him because you're also giving him something else, um, which really the Leafs should not be in the business of doing uh, anymore uh, because they're going to need to continue to inject quality young players at essentially free salaries into their lineup in years to come with the way this salary structure is in place. So I mean, I just, I don't see a market for Cody CC one from the Leafs standpoint or two from, from anybody else. It's, it's tough, right? There's, there's seemingly no answer. And Kyle Dubas's job is not very easy right now to say the least. And the, the answer to the question of how to fix a team that can't be fixed, uh, <laughs> is definitely a question that, uh, that most people I feel like won't have a great answer to. We, we can say, oh yeah, just trade CC, just trade, uh, somebody else. But at the end of the day, like you said, trading Cody CC is great in NHL 20, right? But, sure. it, but, Thank you. but in reality, uh, I totally agree with you. Trading him is the Toronto, Toronto probably love to trade Cody CC. Someone needs to take on that contract and to find someone to do that is probably a lot harder than people are making out to be. Right. Like, does that make any sense to trade him to someone where you have to also give something else to sweeten the pot at this point, if you're the Maple Leafs? It depends no, on what it right? is. If it's, if it's like a, if it's like a, a lower mid tier pick, or maybe a or maybe a B minus B prospect. I would I would think about it, but anything okay, more but than that, what, and it wouldn't we, make any sense. You're not getting anything back though for that either, right? You're getting cap space, I guess. Okay, what are you going to do with that cap space? Now That's, you got to trade someone else to 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 facilitate another deal. Exactly. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like it's it right. just becomes really difficult. It it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. I mean, ultimately, what this goes down to. To Andrew is is the fact that it's on the players now. It's, as I was saying earlier, it's on them um, to to cash Kyle Dubas's chips at the table because he's made his bet. You know, he said yesterday on Toronto radio on uh, on Overdrive on uh, on TSN with uh, with Hayes uh, O'Dog and Noodles, great show. Um, he said that he is willing to uh, essentially bet, not essentially. He said to bet his job and to bet his career on his vision which is how he's built this team. And it's now entirely his vision. There's no real Lou Lamorello holdover. There's really no Mike Babcock touch on this team. He's got his coach. He's got his players. It's built in the way he thinks you can win in the NHL. And as Kyle himself said, you know, in, in, in a year or so, we're going to get to find out. And that's, that's really what it is now. So we can talk till we're blue in the face about making changes and this and that. I don't really see the opportunity to make those changes now. I think we pretty well sit back and we find out if if the way that Kyle Dubas thinks a hockey team can contend, we will see now if that is true. How would you grade Kyle Dubas's performance as general manager so far for the Toronto Maple Leafs? Honestly, C, because it, it, we're still very much wait and see. Like I don't know if this is going to work. This is. This is one grand science experiment that we're seeing take place in front of our face with the Maple Leafs, right? It's really what it is. 
because they're bucking a lot of trends with the way Dubas has put this team together. Um, no team has ever paid 40 million bucks to four forwards, essentially half the cap to four forwards. Um, no team has essentially turned a blind eye to, to size and any level of physicality. No team has essentially um, gone with, with, let's be honest, a rookie general manager and a rookie head coach. And in a year where they think they can contend for a Stanley Cup. Um, so it, we're all going to wait and see whether or not this works. I mean, I, I think Kyle believes that it can work. I mean, I hope he does. <laughs> I, I, certainly, I, I certainly believe that he believes. Um, but I don't think he knows yet either, right? And he said that as much yesterday when we're all going to get to see within a year or two whether or not this works. So um, that, that's why I say see, because you know, a lot of the moves that have been made, I, I question. Um, I don't think Matthews, Nylander, and Marner, those contracts were handled particularly well. Um, Nylander's uh, not a terrible contract at, at just shy of seven million over six years. Um, but I still think he's overpaid. And I think you could have taken a harder line there with William Nylander. But um, Kyle Dubas was, I think, concerned that his first sort of seminal moment on the job was how that was handled last year at this time, right? And he didn't want his first thing on the job to be um, rookie general manager can't get um, elite piece signed in a year where team believes it can contend. That would have been the headline if if um, if Kyle Dubas didn't get William Nylander signed. I can tell you that um, William Nylander was never not going to play last year. He was going to sign the best contract that was available to him a half an hour before the deadline. He was always going to play next year. I can tell you that on good authority. But, you know, Kyle Dubas didn't have essentially the, the level of clout where he could have stomached um, that kind of a headline the same way, say, a Lou Lamorello could have if, um, you know, he had played hardball and, and Nylander said, um, I'm not playing, I'm not signing that, which he never would have anyway. But, you know, Dubas didn't know that at the time. So I think he paid him a little more than he had to. Um, Austin Matthews, I mean, the guy's been a productive player over his first three years, but man, he's getting paid a lot of money, 11-6, and he only got him for five years. So, um, you know, I look at that and say, look, if, if you want 11-6, you got to give me eight. You got to give me eight years. But there, there was, it was a situation there, there were, where, again, it was not team-friendly whatsoever. The player won lock, stock, and barrel in that negotiation. You give me all of the money and, you know, you walk me right to free agency. I, I'm, I'm shocked that he didn't hold out for eight. You even say, look, I'll give you 12, but you got to give me eight. You can't give me five. Um, so there's that. And then Mitch Marner, again, um, I don't begrudge him getting the money. I think based on how the market had trended in Toronto and, and how Nylander and, and Matthews were handled, um, Marner deserved to get that money. But the problem is how the previous two were handled that led to Marner getting that kind of money. I think he's overpaid. I don't think he's overpaid based on how the contracts were handled, but I think in a perfect world, not even in a perfect world, in a proper world, he, he makes too much money. And that's, that's raised other issues. It's, it's forcing to let quality depth players like, like Connor Brown um, have to go. Like Ron Hainsey, who, let's be honest, um, I think we're starting to see Morgan Riley miss this year. Um, and I think the headlines are starting to look a lot better on Ron Hainsey now that he's gone than when he was here. I think he was better than a lot of people realized. He had to go. Couldn't afford him. Couldn't afford a backup netminder because, you know, you, you tied your hands. So um, that's why I look at some of what Kyle Dubas has done and I question it. And then, um, you know, the last point I'll make on that is what was the situation last year? They never had a problem scoring goals. It was keeping the puck out of their net, Andrew. And what did they do? They went out and they, they doubled down on offense, getting Tyson Berry instead of looking for a guy that um, was a little bit more of a, a mean, nasty something or other in his own end that can, that can keep the own end under control. 
we'll see if Tyson Berry can, can turn it around, but so far hasn't been very good. Um, but again, Kyle has built this on his vision, how he believes a team can win and we're going to find out, but, um, it, it's not a case where you can sit back and say, yeah, well, pretty sure this is going to work. Um, we don't know. We're going to get to find out. You mentioned mean, nasty player as a defenseman. Well, if, if, if Dubas was still making that trade with Colorado, would you want Eric Johnson instead of Tyson Berry? Who would you want in that, in that trade then? Well, um, I mean, I don't know about Eric Johnson, to be honest with you, but, um, well, they're not, they're not giving uh, you McCarr. That's, that's for no, sure. A hundred percent. They're not giving you McCarr. No, that is, that is, that is to be sure. I mean, who's to say you needed to make a deal with Colorado? Right? Well, sure. But, but I'm, I'm saying Colorado because that was who they made the trade with. So if the, if you're sticking with Colorado, then your, your you best options to. are Barry or Eric Johnson. Yeah. I, my point is you don't necessarily have needed to stick with Colorado. You could have explored um, other options, and I don't know what those would have been at the time. I guess a little bit of a lame argument on my on my stance, but um, he made a he made a decision that um, by getting Tyson Berry, he's a guy that will help them possess the puck more, um, and that he'll be able to play in the style that that he wants the team to play. And I mean, maybe Mike Babcock has some fault on this. Didn't use Barry in a way that, that he was comfortable uh, being used in Colorado. I mean, I, I'll put it this way. I would say 10 games power play didn't look very good. We're now 22, 23 games in. If I was Babcock 10 games in, I would have been, look, been like, look, okay, power play, it's not working. Morgan Riley's done nothing really to lose his job. He's, he, he he got the opportunity at the beginning of the year to, to play in the role he, he played last year, um, but it hasn't worked. That's okay. So we'll change it. We'll put Bayer in there. I would have made that change. I don't know why he hung on as long as he did and refused to make that change. Um, Sheldon Keith last night, or I guess in the morning, put Barry on the, the unit with, with Matthews and, and, uh, and, and Nylander and Tavares with, with Riley. We never saw a power play last night. So jury's still out on that one, but um I, I like that. We'll see. See if that gets him going a little bit. I don't know why Babcock waited that long. I would have made, made, made that change. And I agree with um, you. But, you know, how will Tyson Berry continue to play at even strength? That's really um, the, the the questions that I have because he's made a number of plays over even just the last couple of weeks. Uh, one came to mind in Vegas the other night uh, before that against the Island where he just, just made terrible decisions in his own end that led to goals against. That's going to tell the tale to me on, on Tyson Berry, what kind of success he has. Don't be one of these guys who, you know, gets me 50 points or whatever, but is on the ice for a ton of goals against as well. That's It's not going to be good enough. So if he can clean up his own end a little bit and get the offense going, sure, he'll be a great player. But again, we will see. Speaking of the avalanche and speaking of Kale McCarr, is he your, is he your Calder favorite right now? Because this this guy is so phenomenal at pretty much every and and every and virtually every second of ice time that he's had this season, he's been a positive factor for the Colorado Avalanche. I mean, there's so many incredible names in this Calder race. Obviously, you got Kako and Hughes, and you got Quinn Hughes, and now uh, you also have Kale McCarr, who, in my mind, at least for right now, through November 22nd at 12.51 p.m. Eastern Time, is probably my Calder favorite. Do you agree, or would you have somebody else in mind? Yes, 100%. He's lapped the field and it isn't even close. And I really don't think it needs much more explanation than that, to be quite honest with you. You don't, you really don't have to justify this one all that much. I mean, that's how good Kale McCarr has been. Um, from the moment he stepped in last year in the playoffs to how he's picked up um, in the regular season this year, he has been incredible, almost historic, really. Uh, that's how good he's been. It's, it's not even close. You're right. Uh, Jack Hughes, Quinn Hughes, Capo Caco, there's a lot of players that man, if I was building a team and you offered me them, I'd, I'd like them for sure. But rookie of the year contenders this year, there is one and one alone, and it's Kale McCarr. Absolutely. One name that kind of stands out in the Calder race a little bit here, and I'm kind of surprised that he's getting the attention that he that he is getting, uh, and and John Lane, uh, writes for com, great, great guy, but I disagree great with him. Great guy. Uh, 
uh, I disagree with him a little bit on this one because he has Victor Olofsson uh, in his top three for Calder for Calder Trophy. I disagree with that because he, while he's been phenomenal on the power play, Victor Olofsson has done not a whole lot on five on five. So I want to see more of that from him before I give him any consideration for, for Calder. Because, I mean, again, on the power play, he's lethal. Sure, I'll give that to him. But five on five, I don't really see him. Yeah, and to an extent, I'll agree. I know how they, they do the, um, the uh, award uh, pieces like that at NHL.com. They're done quarterly. And for the first, I guess, say half of the first quarter, Olofsson was great. And he, and he really was a big reason why Buffalo got out to as good a start as they did uh, because he gave them um, an unexpected an unexpected player, right? A guy who was performing in a way that you didn't necessarily bargain for going into the year. A guy that could produce, a guy that could help you on the power play, a guy that could take a little bit of pressure off Eichel and Skinner and Reinhardt. Um, but after the first half, of this first quarter, say 10 games into the year, it's kind of cooled off. And Buffalo, as a team, has cooled off. But through the first quarter, I think he'd be in there probably ahead of uh, Capo Caco, for sure. Um, probably ahead of Jack Hughes, but I think Hughes sort of picked up his game uh, 10 games in to the season uh, after a bit of a slow start. So you can, I think Jack Hughes and Victor Olofsson would be kind of interchangeable in that third spot to me. I think Quinn would have been that second guy. Um, so I can see how Victor would have been in, in the third spot in that piece, but it'll be interesting to see how that changes come the, uh, the halfway point of the year, because I think that'll be um, much different. I think Caleb McCarr will again be number one. I could see Quinn Hughes still being in number two, but, you know, if Jack Hughes continues to, to to go as he has, I think he'll solidify that third spot. Speaking, going back to the Avalanche here for a second, speaking of the Avs, they are missing literally half their offensive team, right? They're missing they're missing so many guys, Ranson and Landis Scott, Colin Wilson, Matt Calvert, Tyson Jost, and yet they are second, tied for second in the division. 28 points, 13-7-2. Yeah, they, they lost their, dropped their last game against Minnesota. That was a bad loss. They're 5-5 five and five in the last 10 games. But to be honest, you're missing so many great guys. You're missing so many great guys on your team to still be 500, even though you're literally missing half of your offense. It's pretty good. That's that's pretty good, I would say. Yeah, not to mention uh, being without Grubauer and being without Frank Kuz uh, for a period of time there as well. The goaltenders. Uh, it's been impressive to see what Colorado's been able to put together. Um, you know, and I think credit is due on a couple areas. One, they've, they've got good structure. Uh, they help to insulate their goalie a little bit. Um, Nathan McKinnon's been all world. This guy does not get enough credit. Uh, just talked to some people in Colorado. They're still upset that uh, Taylor Hall won the heart a couple years ago and not Nathan McKinnon. Um, they feel like he does not get enough credit, that there's not attention, enough attention on, on them out there in Colorado. I, I tend to agree with them. Um, but they do their best to, to get as much attention on their team as they can. I mean, have you seen their social media department, what, what Colorado puts out in terms of content? It's like, pretty it's great. Out, it's outstanding. Right? They do a great job out there getting attention on their team. Um, <clears throat> so McKinnon's been really good. And Nazem Kadri deserves a lot of credit as well, who has stepped up and he's got to play higher in the lineup and he's shown that, that he's a guy that can really contribute. So you know, we want to go back to that Tyson Berry trade uh, that we were talking about a moment ago. First quarter of the year, it's looking pretty good from the Avs standpoint, not so good from the Leafs standpoint. Um, you know, and, and give Joe Sackett credit. He got a guy that, that, that lengthened their lineup a little bit in Cadbury. Like, what was the issue in Colorado the last couple of years? That, well, they, they've got Mika Random, uh, Landon Skog, and McKinnon. Uh, who do you have after that? Not, not a lot. Well, Cadbury's given them some length in their lineup once those two guys get back, Landon Skog and Randon. Um, they'll have a lot of depth scoring, as they did at the beginning of the year. Uh, but when, when guys go down, you've now got guys that can elevate in the lineup, and Cadbury's been, been really good in that regard. One signing that really kind of still is a question mark for Colorado is Val Nichushkin. I mean, this guy, 18, 18 games so far, doesn't have a goal. I mean, 
And and despite yeah. that, despite literally missing half of the offense, despite Valnichushka not scoring a goal still, didn't score a goal last season in 57 games for the Stars, hasn't scored this year. And so that's literally six. Yeah. That's, that's six of your 12 uh, offensive players either not playing or literally not scoring. And they're still second in the central division. Yeah. I mean, that's 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 phenomenal. Yeah, I think with with Nakushka, I mean, he's been he's been in and out of the lineup a little bit, too, as a healthy scratch. Uh, that was a signing where they they took a flyer on a guy sure. and on a, on a one year low money deal. If he pans out, great. If he doesn't, uh, no big deal. I don't think they went into the year sort of banking on him. I think they went into the year hoping on him. And if if he is able to to put something together, then you've got a real nice player that uh, that that's being paid you know essentially nothing and he's he's overperforming, but. Uh, it's turning out that, that that hasn't happened, and I guess we're starting to get a long track record now on Nakushkin because he, isn't, he didn't play very well at the end of his tenure in Dallas, and so far this year in Colorado, it's not working out. I thought there was more to give with, with Nakushkin, but turns out he may just not be a, a National Hockey League player. That's it's, It seems that way, and and staying in, the, staying in the Western Conference here, the Calgary Flames have been shut out for the third straight consecutive third consecutive road game, they've scored a total of two goals over the past four games. They've dropped six in a row. They're now 10, 12, and three, uh, three, six, and one in the last 10 games here. What is happening in Calgary? Because they, they can't score away from home. They can't win at home. And it how I think Bill Peters doesn't deserve as much blame as he perhaps is getting. Because at, at the end of the day, if your offense is scoring zero goals with, with Goudreau and Monaghan and, and everybody else, Bill Peters isn't on the ice scoring goals for you, right? At the, there's only so much he could do that would okay. that he he's he's mix up the lines. He's he, he's done at least. From what from what I understand, if and if you disagree with me, let me know. From what I understand, he's done everything that he that a coach could possibly do to to fix this offense, and yet zero goals in their last three road games, franchise record. What is happening with the Calgary Flames, Dave? Well, it's concerning because Calgary is a team that again came into the year with cup aspirations. They had a great regular season a year ago, and it has not worked this year. Um, and you're right, Peters has made some changes. He's juggled the lines around. He's made guys healthy scratches at times. Mark Jankowski um, missed a missed a period of time as a healthy scratch. This hasn't worked. Uh, Gaudreau and Monaghan have not been themselves, and I think they deserve to take a lot of the blame. Um, and it's interesting. You look at look at Calgary, you look at the Tampa Bay Lightning, you look at the Toronto Maple Leafs, three teams a year ago that had, um, you know, in, in two cases, certainly Calgary and Tampa Bay, outstanding regular seasons, and in Toronto's case, a pretty good regular season. Um, both, all three were dispatched early in the, in the playoffs and have not started out very well this year, almost looking to reestablish their identity. It's already cost Mike Babcock his job. Um, is John Cooper on the hot seat in Tampa Bay? Is Bill Peters on the hot seat in Calgary? I mean, they just hired Bill Peters in Calgary. What at the beginning of last year? So that would be that would be very quick. I would be surprised if if Brad Treliving pulls the trigger on a head coach that quickly after already making a change. You know, what eighteen months or so ago? I would be surprised about that. Um, I think the players deserve a lot of the blame. I mean. Everyone is so quick to jump on the head coach all the time, but at the end of the day, it's the players who are going out onto the ice and either performing or not performing. And and Calgary has has just not performed to their to their level uh, right now. Uh, T.J. Brody being out of the lineup hurts for sure, but but Goodrow and Monaghan need to be better, and it's as simple as that. Um, and we're going to get to see if they if they can turn it around. But I will say, for whatever reason you hear about panic time in Toronto. And I think that permeates throughout the league for whatever reason, it should be panic time in Calgary. I'm sure it is in the local market, but they're not getting talked about the same extent as the Maple Leafs were, but it's very much panic time in Calgary. How much of this, I mean, James Neal, clearly this is not a secret again, did not have a great year in Calgary last year. This is not, I mean, this is not a a well-kept secret. This is something that everybody knew about. 
He's been having a, a ball of a time in Edmonton so far. Milan Lucic has done not a whole lot for him. And now you have Lucic and also Zach Ronald on the lineup for, for Calgary, which, I mean, doesn't really doesn't add a whole lot offensively to that team. And if if, if there was ever a time for depth scoring when your top yeah. guys like Monaghan and Goudreau uh, were in a rut and they couldn't score. If there was ever a time for your depth guys to 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 get up and score a goal or two, now is the time. And Lucic, uh, not that uh, not that I was expecting him to step up with depth scoring, but he's got zero in twenty three games. Yeah. Uh, Zach Ronaldo, not a not a noted sniper in the NHL, uh, and now th- this is seemingly going from bad to worse because if your top guys aren't scoring. And your depth guys, uh, are two of them are Lucic and Ronaldo. Where are you going to get your scoring from? Yeah, but I think really it, it comes down to to the big boys, right? Who are making most of the money? It comes down to Godbro and Monahan and Matthew Gachuk, who's been pretty good, but needs to continue to be good. Um, in, in a cap world, that's really where where the uh, where the puck stops, right? Depth scoring is great when your big guys are going. Then it lengthens your lineup. Um, if your big guys are not going, depth scoring might get you through a game or two, but they're not going to carry you through ten or a ten or fifteen game stretch, right? And that's that's where you run into issues. Look at look at Buffalo right now. Um, as Jack Eichel goes, essentially, so goes that team. Um, Calgary, same issue. Colorado, when they went through their little skid there, um, when Nathan McKinnon got slowed for a few games, he wasn't. He wasn't producing. Now he's back and they're going again and depth is chipping in. But if, if you're relying on only your depth game here, game there, you'll win, but you won't be carried over a 10 or 15 game stretch in the cap world. And, and that's ultimately where it comes down to. If you have too many guys who are underperforming uh, the level that they're being paid, you're going to run into to trouble. And Calgary is seeing that right now. You can't, can't sit here and say, Oh man, Man, Milan Lucic just is not scoring. He, we're getting we're getting killed because of that. I mean, come on, right? Did, a good year. What did you expect out of Milan Lucic? 10, 15 goals. Okay, right. that's not that might win you, you know, two or three games over the course of the year. Um, that's not going to be enough. You need your big guys to get it done. You mentioned Tampa Bay a second ago, and I want your quick thoughts on them and the Dallas Stars as well, because Tampa Bay, they won last night, but they're 5-4-1 in their last 10 games. They're, they're four points out of a wild card spot right now. Again, it's the, it's the end of November, so there's plenty of time. And there's uh, as, as St. Louis has shown, uh, if they could do it, in January, then anybody could do it in November. Yeah. But the the question to you is, if they if they would have lost in Chicago, or if they go to if they go to their next game and lose uh, their next game, the next couple of games, will there be some sort of panic button hit, or is it too early for the Lightning? Well, first, let me just push back on something. We, we've mentioned the St. Louis Blues as the well, if they can do it, anybody can right. do it. Um, based on, no, it's not a, it's not a likely situation. I it's for no. sure. Right. Like it's just, let's use our heads about that a little bit. Absolutely. Um, if, if they don't, if they don't find, first of all, they make a coaching change, right? November the 20th last year. And then they continued to suck for six weeks. So the coaching change didn't do it. What happened was they went out and they brought up a guy in Jordan Bennington who turned out to be a guy that was a savior. And that's not happening in, in Tampa Bay, right, for instance, this year. And not that that really is their issue. Andre Vasilevsky is their guy. problem in St. Louis is that they kept hoping with Jake Allen and that, man, one of these days he's going to figure out, one of these days he's going to turn into the goalie that, that we feel like we've got. Ah, he's not doing it all. We've, we've blown this year. It's, it's January. Might as well see what we've got in this Bennington character. Oh, man. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> I never let them, exactly. You know what I mean? And if they don't find Jordan Bennington, they don't make the playoffs. Simple as that. They don't win the Stanley Cup. So we we have to stop saying if St. Louis can do it, anybody can do it. No, that was a once in a million situation. In in Tampa Bay's case, um, it, it's weird because again, they pretty well have the same team as they did 
a year ago, the team that won 62 games. But they still look like they're struggling to reestablish their identity. Um, we got to be careful with Tampa Bay. They're a team that's kind of lying in the weeds here because they haven't played very many games. And their travel schedule was brutal in October and the early part of November. Before they played at home, after the Sweden series, where they played Buffalo twice over in Sweden, that was only their fifth game, whatever the day was. I think it was November the 15th. That was only their fifth game that they played at whatever they call their home rig now. What is it? The Amelie Arena in Tampa Bay? Yep, it was only the Amelie, fifth yep. time they only the fifth time they played in that building this year. So think about that. In, in October and in November, and I talked to a bunch of the guys when they were rolling through Toronto um, in mid-October. They were like, look, we're just saying if we can kind of tread water and get through the middle of November, get past the Sweden series – then we think the schedule really sets up nice for us uh, and we'll be able to go on a bit of a run here. So now's that time. Let's see. They haven't played as many games as a lot of teams. Uh, they'll make up some of those games in hand. Um, if they can do that, take care of business on home ice. Uh, before we know it, they're going to be back up toward the, the top three in the Atlantic Division just by virtue of the fact they haven't played very many games. Um, and, then, and then everything, I think, will be okay. This, this team reminds me a lot like Washington, the year they won the Stanley Cup, right? Because they um, were always that team that would get it done in the regular season, blow the, the regular season away, and then they got to the playoffs, and it was, ah, you know, went around here and there, and then just never, never seemed to put it all together, never managed to get where everybody thought that they could go. And the year that, that Washington won, Andrew, everyone said, oh, maybe their window is closed. And they just kind of they made it through the regular season. They didn't blow the regular season away, and then they caught fire. So I think if, in Tampa's case, they go through a little adversity. That is not the worst thing. They'll have something to draw on come playoff time. Just get to the playoffs. They've still got a tremendous roster. Um, again, different in the way previous champions have been built like Washington and St. Louis that were a little heavier that leaned on you a little bit. Tampa plays a lot more like the Maple Leafs speed, skill, possession. Um, I would say they're a little heavier than the Leafs, but that's certainly not a strength of their team. I think that revealed itself against Columbus last year. Um, we'll see, but I think just get to the playoffs. I think they'll be okay. I don't think it's panic time in, in Tampa Bay really until middle of December maybe the new year, as long as they're still within uh, spinning distance of a, of a playoff spot. You don't want it to go to go to hell in Tampa Bay, but if they're still kind of middling around four or five points out, then I think that's when panic time is. But not I, now. I would agree with you there. And one final team here I want to get your quick thoughts on is the Dallas Stars, a team that couldn't score or win in the first nine games to save their lives. They were 1-7-1. and one. Uh, They kept getting beat pretty handedly. And now they are 13-8-2, and 9-0-1 their past 10 games. They won five in a row. The, the offense has, has woken up. They have exploded so far. Your thoughts on the Dallas Stars' very quick turnaround uh, so far this season. Yeah, I was talking to Jim Miller, general manager, a couple of weeks ago on my show, and I said, Jim, you breathing easier now? He was like, well, yeah, certainly. <laughs> Certainly I am, but he said it's the type of league nowadays where you really never can uh, breathe easy. I mean, to, to, to do with Dallas, what, what happened with them in the beginning of the year, their big guys were going, right? And that goes back to the point we were making a, a few minutes ago. Jamie Benn, Tyler Sagan, uh, they were not producing. Now they are, and now they're having success. If your big guys don't produce in today's game, you do not win. It's as simple as that. Um, goals against have been, uh, have been very good in Dallas. They've kept their own end under control. Uh, which is good, and and now they're scoring, now they're having success. Um, uh, Jim said uh, Coach Montgomery deserves a lot of credit for uh, for how uh, they handled the beginning of the year, keeping things calm. He said, I know there were people calling for his job. That was never the case. Um, and, and they've now leveled the ship, and they're heading in the right direction, it seems. The thing that Jim said to me when I was talking to him that I found really interesting, he said he thinks this year – it's going to be harder to make the playoffs than it will be to win the Stanley Cup because he said, I feel like I could pick 20 to 22 teams and I could make legitimate arguments that they could win the Stanley Cup. Only 16 teams get into the playoffs. So by that logic, 
it will be harder to make the playoffs and win a cup. I thought that was interesting what Jim Neal had to say. Um, I talked to Chuck Fletcher of the Flyers last week, and I, I brought that up. He's like, well, I don't know if I'd say 20 to 22, but he said I could certainly pick a pretty big number of teams that you could make Stanley Cup arguments for, um, which is, again, to say that there's a lot of parity in this league, and it is tough to make the playoffs. So um, we'll have to wait and see how that how that pans out. But there's a lot of teams that I think could win the Cup that may not make the playoffs. Look at Nashville. They're having a big problem right now in Nashville, another team that everybody thought could win the Cup. They may not make the playoffs. I, and I agree with what Jim Nill said. There's a there's so many teams right now that are either in a playoff spot or knocking on the door to a playoff spot. So many teams are neck and neck. So many teams have improved that, and and, and there's only so many spots to go around. So I I think Jim Nill is definitely uh, he's definitely on the right track there because you have so many. You only have 16 spots to go around in the playoffs and yet there are definitely more than 16 teams that I can that I, I can make a legitimate argument for making the playoffs and potentially maybe even going on a run so there are I Jim Neal yeah. is is definitely uh right about like well just like just quickly on that like certainly there's your your upper tier of cup contenders sure but but maybe there is a group where you say yeah, I wouldn't expect them to but yeah, if they get in and they something breaks their way and all of a sudden they, they end up on a good pass and, you know, this and that, yeah, I could see them going on a run like, you know, Columbus last year. The way everything broke with, with the first round with a lot of top-tier teams going out, if Columbus had got past the Boston Bruins, who's to say they couldn't have beaten the Carolina Hurricanes in the third round? You know, I think they probably could have. They could have got to the cup final. So it's, it's, it's that type of a situation. And I think it's only gotten tougher this year with the parity where, yeah, you, there's a, a number of teams where if they went on a run and got to the cup final or even won the cup, you say, oh, I didn't necessarily see that coming. But yeah, with the way their team is, it doesn't surprise me. It doesn't shock me. Dave, I really appreciate you taking the time coming on the show. One last thing here before I let you go. We have a segment called The Biggest Stretch, where I list you four things, and I want you to tell me which of the four to you is the biggest stretch. You ready? Okay, let's do it. Number one, the Maple Leafs will win the Atlantic Division. Number two, the Calgary Flames will trade either Johnny Gaudreau or Sean Monaghan before the trade deadline. Number three, Peter Laviolette will be the next head coach fired. Hot hot seat coaches such as Boudreaux and Hines will stick around longer than Laviolette in Nashville. And number four, someone not named John Carlson, if he remains healthy for the season, will win the Norris Trophy. So of those four, which to you, Dave, is the biggest stretch? What was the third one again, sir? Laviolette. Laviolette will be the next head coach fired. So the so the four the four are okay. Leafs winning the the Atlantic, yeah. uh, Flames trading either Goudreau or Monaghan before the deadline, Laviolette being the next head coach fired, or someone not named John Carlson winning the Norris this year. If of course Carlson remains healthy. Okay, so biggest stretch is in least likely to happen. Yes, I would say the Calgary Flames trading Goudreau or Monaghan. They they they're the they're they're part of the the core that they've committed to in Calgary. Um, the core that they believe can get them to where they want to go. And the good thing there is uh, they're, they're both paid as, as top players go today uh, fairly economically, right? Really, really well from a team standpoint, which affords uh, Calgary some, some wiggle room in other areas of their team. So I think they'd like to try to, to get Gundrow and Monaghan going again than to um, – than to cash their chips on one of those guys. Uh, to me, that would be would be a surprise if if either of those two guys got dealt. Just you know, like for the reasons I laid out, they're both paid well. They've made their bets on those guys. Um, they've 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 had a good track record in the past. I don't think because of twenty games, everyone can go through a bad stretch of twenty games. If 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 they had gotten out to a good start, and you know what, uh, Calgary was cruising along, and they were seven points up on the next closest team. And then uh, Goudreau went through a, a 10 or 15 game stretch starting in game 50. You probably wouldn't notice it all that much, but just because it's happened in the beginning of the year, um, you do notice it, but I don't think you make a knee jerk reaction on, on guys like that, that quickly. Fair enough. I mean, 
I, the the point of the biggest stretch is to have four four uh, four bullet points that probably won't happen. But which you know of the four, <laughs> which will happen the least? Uh, yeah, that's why. That's why I think that would be the least likely to happen because the Toronto Maple Leafs winning the division. You know, I I don't think that's going to happen. But I I would be more surprised if Calgary moves on from from two of those guys. Um, John Carlson winning the Norris. Somebody other than John Carlson winning the Norris. I mean, it's early, so he could cool off, and you know, Brent Burns could go on a heater, or Victor Hedman could go on a heater once once Tampa Bay starts to pick up a little bit. Um, Boston had a great start to the year. Will they come back a little bit? You know, probably. I don't think they're going to play at this pace all year long. Could the Leafs figure it out under Sheldon Keith? It's possible. Um, if Laviolette being fired. Um, as the next coach, I could see other changes made elsewhere in the league before him. I would be really shocked if Calgary cashes their chips on one of their core players. I, I just, to me, that would be shocking, especially Fair. in season. Fair enough, Dave. Again, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. Plug your social media, plug anything you want, man. The floor is yours. Yeah. Uh, at Dave A. McCarthy on uh, Twitter and the gram, as the cool kids say. And, uh, Listen to Sunday Brunch, Sirius XM, NHL Network Radio, Channel 91, uh, every Sunday, 11 a.m. Eastern. How's that? Almost sounds like a recording, like I've done that before. Right? <laughs> uh, definitely a, a Sirius XM product right there. Uh, thank, thanks again, Dave. We'll talk again soon. Thanks, Andrew. And this has been episode number 74 of Chell Square, number 75, coming out next Friday. I'll talk to you then.